Welcome to Stories from the Heart. I'm Sandra McDevitt. Today in Stories from the Heart, the story of a young man martyred in Nagasaki, one of 24 who lost their lives because they promoted the Christian faith. Stay tuned for the true story of St. Philip or Felipe of Jesus on another Stories from the Heart. Boy who was crucified. If you should enter the cathedral of Mexico City, you might notice in a side chapel the figure of a boy on a cross. He is hanging there in his brown Franciscan habit. He is looking up to heaven as he looked long ago on the hill at Nagasaki in Japan, where he died in the February of 1597. His father, Don Alonso, had large warehouses in the town with goods from the Orient. Now and then the boy and his father would ride over to China Road, as it was called, from Mexico City to the port of Acapulco, there to oversee the unloading of ships coming from eastern lands. At such times, young Felipe might wander about the docks, listen to the tales of strange peoples and places across the Pacific. Whatever the parents had in mind for this, their eldest child, at the age of 15, Felipe took himself off 85 miles to a hermitage outside the city of Puebla, where lived a few barefoot friars in a poor retreat named for Santa Barbara. Here he began a monastic life of the utmost poverty. Sackcloth habit, scanty fare, bare walls, bare cell, bare chapel, bare ground. But after a time of this, the parents, of course, proud and happy to have a son in religion, it was discovered one morning that Felipe was missing. Overnight he had hung up the poor habit, left behind him the poor life, had taken to the highway and was riding now for Mexico City, having, as the chronicler puts it, abandoned his vocation, undertaken what he could not endure. Well, soon after this, when Felipe was about 16, his father sent him off to the distant Philippines to look after business interests in the port of Manila, and there in the tropics the lad lived much like other Spanish hidalgos of his day, his pastimes and pleasures no better than those of his contemporaries. And these, be it remarked, were not always of the best. But in two years we find him again standing at the gates of a friary, this time at the Manila convent of St. Mary of the Angels, asking admission among the Franciscans, who dedicated themselves and their hospital to the care of the sick, the leprous, and the poor. He was admitted, and at Santa Maria, when he was twenty, in the year 1594, he was professed a full-fledged Franciscan friar, with the name Philip of Jesus, He might now look forward to ordination and later perhaps to the missions in Japan. After two years, however, Felipe heard with dismay that he was again being summoned to Mexico and in obedience he made ready to depart from Manila on a ship prophetically named the San Felipe. This galleon, with prow pointed over the Pacific, was headed with cargo and passengers for the New World. But after a few days at sea, a monsoon swept across the ocean with such terrific force that instead of eastward, the ship's captain saw no safe alternative 
but to ride with the storm and seek shelter on the coast of Japan. Thus, perhaps by special providence, Felipe entered his hoped-for mission field, later to be his field of glory, far sooner than he had expected. In Japan, the Franciscans had founded a few houses which tended the needs of a goodly number of Christians, but, being outsiders, they lived in the land only by sufferance. The pagan lords, hoping for trade with countries such as Spain and Portugal, and fearing the guns of the ships offshore, permitted the foreigners to preach their despised religion and to baptize converts. But at any moment, some incident might arouse suspicions. Fires of hatred might blaze. Persecution might suddenly sweep down to wipe out the Christians over the whole of the island. Felipe, once in Japan, was made aware of this, but he gladly settled down, taking up the same work here that he'd done in Manila, caring for the sick and the poor, and nursing the lepers of the town of Osaka. Disquieting, even alarming rumors were abroad in this section. The ruler had no love for either the friars or their converts, and since disasters had tripled in the province, sickness, earthquake, and drought, and since calamities could easily be blamed on the Christians, more than once the tyrant had threatened to dire vengeance, even crucifixion. But the friars and their people, discounting these threats, lived in hope until the winter of 1596. Then, for reasons known only to the shogun, bitter persecution began in earnest. Events moved swiftly now for the little Franciscan community at Macao. On Christmas Day, the friars were put under house arrest, and in January they and their converts were headed off to prison. As soon as they were led off bound, they became aware of what sentence would await them. They were met in the streets with rocks and spittle. They were told their noses and ears were to be sliced, which could mean only death, and in their case death meant crucifixion. After some days, they were brought to the town square to hear their sentence. But they learned that this was not to be carried out immediately, nor in the town. And after the decree of punishment was read, the 24 prisoners were returned to the jail. Since the customary mutilation had been reduced to a mere cropping of the left ear, they were still not altogether certain if they were to be crucified or put up for sale on the slave market. For some time, they were led on exhibition through the streets and marketplaces of the larger towns to warn away Japanese thinking of conversion. Finally, back in Osaka, the sentence of death was passed upon them with no room for doubt because they had taught their religion of the Christians and induced others to follow these teachings. Both the friars and their converts were to be crucified at a distant Nagasaki. Father Pedro Bautista, the superior, explained the order to Felipe, whose mastery of the language was somewhat lacking that they would be on display in every village on the way to the coast, that once there they would be fastened to crosses and pierced with lances, that though it was winter, the bitter Japanese winter, they could expect to be harassed along the roads from town to town. Father Pedro protested to the judge that Felipe, merely a guest en route to Mexico, should not be subjected to the death penalty. But Felipe said that he too was a friar, and as such must share the fate and the glory of his brethren. Over the mountains and rivers for 30 days, the prisoners were moved onward toward the west coast of Japan. In the very early morning of February 5th, the prisoners aroused for the last time, and over a few snow-covered miles, they were made to drag themselves to the last rendezvous, the Hill of Wheat in Nagasaki, where the death sentence would be carried out. 
The city of Nagasaki was alive and crowded that morning. Christians and pagans were there alike. Thousands from the towns and the hillsides there, too, were soldiers and merchants. The friars gave their last blessing. They made their last confession and absolved each other. Then all the martyrs were led up the hillside toward twenty-six waiting crosses, the three children among them seeing three crosses smaller than the rest, raced forward to them. The friars intoned the Benedictus Dominus, Blessed be the Lord. The Christians in the crowd knelt and prayed. Weeping friends and relatives begged the Japanese martyrs to renounce their faith and save themselves. But not one of them wavered, and the pagans gazed in dumb amazement as friars and Christians went joyous and singing to crucifixion. As for Felipe... He walked along the line of crosses till he came to the fourteenth, the one which bore his name. There he threw out his arms, crying in welcome, O oh, happy ship, San Felipe, that was lost at sea, that Felipe might be saved. Then lying down, he stretched himself upon the cross and waited for the executioners. It was not the custom in Japan to crucify with nails. Instead, the victim was clamped, neck, hands, feet, then raised on the cross and pierced with two lances, one of which would pass through the heart. But as Felipe lay upon the cross, he saw that the pedal upon which he might stand was slanted too low. He knew what would follow. The feet would slide. The weight of the body would be supported mainly at the throat. He would be strangled to death. The executioners, however, had no time for such considerations. Hardly they fastened the irons at neck, wrists, and ankles. Hardly they raised the cross and dropped it into the post hole. Almost immediately the ordeal commenced. With a mighty effort, Felipe raised himself upon the cross and cried out the name of Jesus. Then the body gave way and strangulation began. But mercifully, an officer witnessed the agony and at once commanded that he be dispatched with a lance. The first thrust, upward and outward, pierced the heart. The second was merely a coup de grace and the third merely impaled the body to the wood. Now the other martyrs were waiting in their turn. The three small boys were singing on their crosses. One of the men, Poalo, consoling his old father at the foot of the cross, was preaching to the crowd, assuring all that this was his hour of joy and glory. The superior looking down, the row crucified, gave thanks that they all had won through victory. Out in the bay, the few Spanish and Portuguese mariners could only watch helplessly from their galleons. Five friars aboard, previously expelled from Japan, knelt on the deck and prayed. Even the old bishop in house arrest at Nagasaki was allowed to witness the martyrdom. Came the final order, trumpets, cries of the soldiers, and along the line of crosses the guards thrust lances into the martyrs, and thus the souls of all, friars and faithful Christians, followed Felipe through the gates of eternal glory. Toward evening, the vultures hovering around the hill of wheat, swooping lower and lower, but it was testified that none touched the bodies hanging to the crosses. The governor of Manila, writing to the shogun, demanded the remains of the martyr Franciscans, but it was found that the guards had sold whatever they could to the Christians. Only a few bones were recovered, and unfortunately most of these were lost at sea. The boy was 22 when he died. He hangs upon the cross in the Mexican cathedral as he hung upon the hill of wheat above the Bay of Nagasaki. If ever you enter his chapel in Mexico, pause and salute his image, ask his intercession. He was canonized, declared a saint, 
1892, St. Philip of Jesus, First Fruits of the Mexican Church, patron saint of the City of Mexico, our first North American saint. Thank you for joining us on Stories from the Heart. Today's story, The Boy Who Was Crucified, was written by Father William Cullen and published in Ligorian Magazine. For a copy of this or any of my stories, email Sandra at AveMariaRadio.net. Stories from the Heart is recorded in the studios of Ave Maria Radio. I'm Sandra McDevitt. May God bless the rest of your day. Missed the show? Not sure if it came from Ave Maria Radio? Go to AveMariaRadio.net. A list of shows and hosts are there. And if you find the show you're looking for, you can hear the whole thing again by going through the Ave Maria Radio audio archives. For two years, we've recorded nearly every show from Ave Maria Radio. Just click on the audio archives message located at the center of our homepage. Now you even have more reasons to become a radioactive Catholic by going to AveMariaRadio.net.